Um, anyway, morning, welcome, and uh, glad you're here. This is our last sermon in the uh, uh, Animate series. I want to point out that we have one more Lexio Divina book up here, free for the taking. I'm going to throw it right there. I imagine that will disappear when I am done today. And we have two more Animate booklets. Uh, both of these are sort of uh, this is sort of date sensitive, but you don't have to go by the dates. And the animate booklet you can certainly use outside of listening to the series, so I encourage you to do that. Um, we are going to have some good fun next week, and I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But uh, anyway, uh, animate. We've been talking for the past, I don't know, I think it was about like five, six weeks or something like that about our lives, our spiritual lives, the spiritual formation being animated in, in Christ, uh, that uh, the word of the Lord comes to life in us and, and meeting with Jesus in this inner sanctum and all that kind of stuff. And it's just um, uh, something that we want to pursue intentionally in our lives. And, and so it's, I, you know, a lot of you have talked about how you've been touched by these sermons and this, this whole series uh, myself as well, and so we're going to do some fun things next week. But today, in this last ser- sermon in this series, I want to start with 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says, we demolish arguments, which are, uh, we could say, are mental strongholds, all right? We all have sort of mental strongholds. So we're talking about our own sort of thought process in here, right? So we demolish mental strongholds and every pretension or that can be translated as reasoning process, the way that we think. You know, we all have ways of like justifying things that we do and things like that, right? Uh, So every pretension or reasoning process that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And by the way, uh, Scripture teaches that our own hearts are deceptive, that can deceive us ourselves. And so we all have these ways, these mental strongholds or these, uh, these reasoning processes that undermine our growth in Christ. And so what we want to do is the end of that verse is we want to take every captive uh, or every thought, captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we actually conform, we submit ourselves and conform our thinking to the message of the gospel. Uh, Easier said than done, right? But that is the essence of discipleship, right? That is the essence of discipleship. Breaking away from strongholds or false reasoning and submitting our intellect and our emotions and our reasoning power to Jesus. So, in that light, let me uh, begin with a little prayer. All right, Father, we uh, we're excited to come to this today at the end of this uh, series, and we ask that you would, like we did before the service, just package all of this. We imagine that image of you packaging together all that we've learned in the past weeks in something that each one of us can sort of stuff in our pocket and take home with us. Something special that you have given us that we can walk out of here with and unwrap and use in the days to come, in the years to come, as we grow more and more like you in Christ. And Father, we know as we sit in here this morning that we're going to have a good time. That... We're going to explore some things that are very, not only positive, but can be very fun. And we think about all the hurt in the world, the tragedy last Sunday in a church in Texas, and just all the different things that are happening. And 
we know that you are the answer to all that ills this country and this world. And we know that change starts in our hearts. This is the first place where it starts, is us with you. Me with you, me in this community with you. And in, in, in saying that, we can change the world. So we pray that our focus would not be on all the craziness, but actually on you. And that you would change the way that we think, the way that we respond to life, the way we respond to ourselves and yourself and others, so that we can reflect the kingdom of God out there in the world. And we thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, But that is the essence of discipleship, right? Taking our thoughts captive to Christ, uh, being transformed into his image. Discipleship is, in essence, following. That's what a disciple does, is they follow, right? Um, Breaking away from these strongholds, and we follow Jesus, which is defined, really, as listening, listening well to Jesus, and then doing, or living, or being how Jesus says, right? How he defines things for us. Following through on what you hear. Now, I have a a 15-year-old son, as you all know. He's not here today, so I can rag on him. So I'm ragging on Tanner now. Not not Vinny. Not Vinny, Mare. Just Tanner. Um, (laughs) I have to buy her some flowers or something. Um, But Tanner once said to me, Dad, I'm a great listener. He's like sitting there with his ears, you know, his hands to his ears. You know, I'm a great listener, Dad. And, and so I said, okay. And I told him what he needed to do, like go clean your room or, you know, pick up the dishes you left in the living room or whatever it was that I told him to do. And he promptly laughed and he said, no way. And he ran down the stairs, right? Which is typical of my relationship with Tanner. But um, he was joking, of course. We know he was joking, but we intuitively know that that is not listening. He heard the words, but he didn't follow through on the message, right? Listening to Jesus, especially when we're talking in this vein, listening is to hear and to obey, to hear and to follow, right? Let's, let's just translate, translate the word obey into follow because that's really what it is, and a lot of people don't like that word obey, right? It's not to listen to all the other voices out there in culture that are contradictory to the message of Christ, contradictory to the one voice that you said you will follow in your life, right? It's not to have them compete with Jesus. It's to have him reign, his voice to reign over everything else. You know, it's, it's intuitively, we know it's to demolish mental strongholds and to these reasoning processes which are contradictory to Jesus taking all thoughts captive to him and in so doing then we are transformed right then we are transformed and our imaginations our thought life in and imagining everything we define so much of us if if not all of us right 24/7 images and feelings and all this stuff flood our minds and they motivate us to, to one course of action or another in all these different decisions that we have to make in life. And our public life, which you see on the outside, is a reflection always of our private world. Always. Nothing happens outwardly which doesn't first happen inwardly. Right? Ask an architect who has to imagine a house before he actually builds the house. Right? Right? 
Ask any couple who is in a cyclical habit of fighting with, each, with one another. They imagine the answer that they're going to get from their spouse before anything ever even happens or they even go to have the conversation about something and, and they begin the conversation on the defensive as they always have and in some way they are partly responsible for the response they get from the other person which is the one that they expected and they almost brought about themselves, right? Nothing happens outwardly when it doesn't happen inwardly first. Our imaginations sometimes take us to places that are very dark. Sometimes they take us to places that are very light and very bright and very good. You don't have an affair before you imagine having an affair, do you, right? You don't plan a backpacking trip without first imagining how beautiful it's going to be out there in the high Sierras. That was the best backing trip, backing trip I've ever taken. And it was beautiful. And it exceeded my expectations. Yet although our imaginations form us so greatly, we rarely talk about this inner life that we, that we always practice. This inner ability to image things which then become a reality in our lives. Right? We tend to be a very externally driven people. We don't take time to think about what we think about. Ancients took time to think about what they think about, but we don't. We think about accomplishing external things, tasks, projects, getting things done. Busyness is the unspoken mantra of American life. If we're not busy, we're unproductive, right? We're not thinking about it necessarily, we're just busy. There's no greater sin for the mainliner than to be outwardly unproductive, to, than to be unbusy, right? Somebody asks you if you're busy, you have to say, oh, yeah, I'm really busy, <laughs> you know? You even lie sometimes when you're not busy. You have to say you're busy because then you sound unproductive, right? See, contemplative spiritual formation, this, this idea of cataphatic prayer, of meeting Jesus in this inner sanctum, seems very unproductive to us. Although I would say two things to that. One is that we're all being formed spiritually. We said this in past weeks. We're all being formed spiritually. It's only a question of how. Is it bad or good formation? Right? Everybody in the world is being spiritually formed. Just how are they being spiritually formed is the question. Second thing is that spiritual formation informed by the Scriptures and in partnership with the Holy Spirit in your life makes for solid production, solid decisions in all other areas of life. It bleeds out into everything and makes everything better. But few of us sit and think about our thinking and, we, and look inwardly. And I'm not talking about navel-gazing. I'm not talking about being self absorbed and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about mature introspection, checking yourself, right? Socrates said, the unexamined life isn't worth living. Very true. Extremely true, right? To not know why you do what you do or to blindly follow the next fad or the pop, next popular argument in society, to not know why you respond to life the way that you respond to life is unhealthy, It's an unhealthy way to live, and it's not what God would intend for you. God calls us to think about our thinking, right? To think about our internal life. And if we don't, 
we're being formed in wrong ways. It's a, it's a natural progression of things that if we don't think about it, if we're not intentional with our spiritual formation with Jesus, we are, inten- we are naturally going to be formed in wrong ways. So some good questions to ask yourselves are, why do I get so angry about this thing? This, whatever it is in your life. Why do I get so angry about this thing? Why does it bother me so much? Why does that person bother me so much? Why does this situation or this thing or this person or this event make me feel so sad? Why do I keep doing this thing which I know is not good for me and not good for everybody around me, but I keep doing it? (laughs) You might find that there is healing to be found if we actually bravely bring these questions before Jesus in our inner sanctum, in that quiet time with him and ask him those questions and ask him to define us and to challenge us and to change us so if we're going to practice second corinthians 10 5 we have to recover an ability to identify these mental strongholds to identify uh, these reasoning processes that are damaging and take every thought captive to christ to be aware of our thoughts and to make them conform to truth What's true? What's not true about a person, about God, about a situation, about others, whatever, right? About myself. Where do I find truth? Truth has been attacked, hasn't it, in society? No, you have been conditioned. I'm just going to tell you, you've been conditioned to think that nothing is true, that there is no truth. Right? So you hear stories in the news now and you're like, well, what's the truth? Firstly, we find truth about God generally in nature out there. We, you know, we can see things. We can look around our world and we can notice that there are some things that are true about God. You can derive some truth about who God is you know, from just looking around you. Kim and I love to be outside, love to be out in nature because it's a, it's a worshipful experience for us. We see something about God in all of it. Romans 1.20 says this about general revelation. It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So everybody in the world, no matter who they are or what station in life they are, they can see something about God when they look out in the world. Even in the most horrific of situations, they can see it. God is a creative, beautiful being since an artist is always reflected in their work, right? We said that a few weeks ago. Sometimes just getting out into nature can do wonders for the lost soul. It's hard to be a sex addict on a backpacking trip without a cell phone. It is really hard. Kim was telling me a story. She just read an article or something uh, where somebody, oh, she was reading a book and the character was on all this medication and then moved to a farm and started working outside. Immediately started going off their medication. It was much more healthy because they were working hard. They were outside. They were in the dirt. And did you know, actually, it's a proven scientific fact that dirt helps your depression? You don't find too many depressive farmers out there, I guess. I don't know. But 
just those are side notes. But it's just, you know, you can't be a sex addict out on a backpacking trip. It's very hard to do. When you're disconnected from all your toys and trinkets, and you're just out there just confronted with beauty. There's something peaceful about it. There's something that we need in society. We need to disconnect and get to these things more, more often. But general revelation doesn't give us everything that we need. It gives us a lot. It can be a very worshipful thing, but it doesn't give us everything we need. That's why God has taken the effort and the time to speak, to inspire certain writers and speak to certain people through special revelation. Truth communicated through supernatural means, which we should be very grateful for, that Scripture is God's special revelation to us. It's, it is something that He's communicated to us. History is definitely His story, right? And in that history, He's communicated to us via His Word. It's a powerful statement. We see special revelation also in the person of Jesus Christ. We see special revelation in in the ministry of the Holy Spirit among our communities. There's such a thing, by the way, as you've been conditioned to think there is no truth, there is such a thing as orthodoxy or right thinking. There is. There is truth. And in a day when the authority of Scripture is being question left and right all over the place this may be the most important thing that you have to come to conclusions on do you believe god's word is god's word right that's a big statement lindley uh thomas wrote a blog once outlining how she sits with scripture and she reads and she lets the holy spirit transform her thoughts and the images in her mind as she journals these things for her future reference and how that changes her and transforms her it was a great blog. There's, there's something essential and something profound about the simple act of sitting quietly with the Lord and reading Scripture and allowing God to speak to you and, and, and then owning that, what he, what he directs you to in your mind. Because as you do that, you tend to demolish arguments, mental strongholds, and every pretension, every reasoning process that has set itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought that to make it obedient to Christ. Sometimes those thoughts have to be wrestled to the ground. And sometimes they just willingly give up in light of the divine truth. Sometimes God will challenge the thoughts and images in your mind or your heart that are not yet conformed to His truth. And sometimes that is a deep struggle for us. Sometimes we disagree with God, right? But I've always found that if I trust Him and I have faith in what He said to me, He will bring clarity over time on those things. For instance, and I don't mean to bring up hot topics, but many of us are allowing society to redefine sexuality for us at an alarming rate without ever thinking about what God says about it. Who created it? Shouldn't we let him define it? And we're making grave mistakes without the thought of consequence. Defining what we deem as truth only by ours or even worse, somebody else's experience, however deviant that experience is. At times, God brings things to mind which you don't expect. 
You're not even like thinking about it. You know, some very personal and seemingly insignificant things in your life, which are actually very significant, but you don't know that. They can be life-changing or they can signify something much deeper than you even realize in your life. And God brings it to light. And if you can get to the root of those things with Jesus, it may be a very healing time for you. For instance, there's one song that has been indelibly stamped on my memory and that is Don McLean's American Pie. Know that song? Don McLean's American Pie. I think I, I, in thinking about this sermon, I thought about that song. It came to mind because it's a very important song to my. It comes up in different points in my life, uh, especially during those times, you know, that are difficult for me. And I listen to it over and over and over again during those times. They're usually times of deep. Uh, change or uneasiness, like major moves in my life and things like that. And I started thinking about why does that song come up when I go through these times? Why does that song, that the lyrics of that song become, you know, the thing that I sing? And they're, they're such sad lyrics too, right? It always leaves me with a sense of loneliness, a sense of emptiness, a sense of loss. And, it, and it, it's profound for me. You might have a song yourself that comes up during those times in your life. But just listen to some of the lyrics of this song. It says, I met a girl who sang the blues. I asked her for some happy news. But she just smiled and turned away. I went down to the sacred store where I'd heard the music years before, but the man there said the music wouldn't play. And in the streets, the children screamed, and the lovers cried, and the poets dreamed. But not a word was spoken, and the church bells all were broken. And the three men I admire the most, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they caught the last train for the coast the day the music died. You know know the chorus? And they were singing, bye-bye, Miss American Pie. You know the song, right? Love that song. But it's a, it's a very important song to me. The song begins by referencing the death of Buddy Holly in the, statement, in, in the, in the opening statement there. And, and uh, it's that, that to him is the day that music died, right? Now, Buddy Holly died about eight years before I was born. I was born in 1967, right? Whew, that's a long time ago. You know, you know you're old when you go to websites and you have to put in your year and you have to scroll down, right? <laughs> you're like, crap, I didn't used to have to scroll this far. It used to come up in the first little box. Now I have to scroll. That sucks. But his, de- his death in this song images that innocence and that optimism which Don McLean felt had died in America, Right? American Pie was released in 1972 and, and was top of the charts for a long time. And when I was a kid, it was a very big, it was, sta- it was seared into me. I heard it over and over again, right? And it's a catchy song, too, so it helps. And with my move to New Jersey from Texas and later from Texas or New Jersey to uh, Philadelphia, that was really how I felt. My innocence and my optimism had died with those moves. That's how I felt, right? See, being born at the end of the tumultuous uh, 1960s, a seven-year-old Texan boy who had never met an Italian or a Catholic, right, moving to the Italian suburbs of New York City, you know, all Italian, all Catholic, and then moving to Waspish Main Line, 
you know, where I'd never met, like, you know, a Presbyterian, right? That was very, it was lonely and frightening for me. Everything seemed to fail me. Everything seemed to fall apart. And I went from Bible Belt to forget about it to like, oh my gosh. You know, like, like it just, it was just very different cultures. And it was crazy for me. It was all in the span of 14 years. That's what I felt like. It really felt like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost had taken the last train for the coast, right? So I latched onto that, a sense of loss, a sense of aloneness, a sense of upheaval, of things failing me took over, and American Pie reflected all of those feelings in me. And with every major turn in life, that song comes up in me with a sense of loneliness and a sense of foreboding. I was a young kid. I was, I was being affected by things that I didn't understand, things much bigger than me. The 1960s throwing off all convention, embracing for the very first time the possibility of a godless society. That's when Vahanian wrote all of his material. He's a philosopher talking about the death of God and, and drawing on Nietzsche and God is dead and all this stuff. And the sexual revolution was coming about and all this kind of stuff, right? All this junk, right? All this convention, you know, throwing off convention, embracing for the first time the possibility of a godless society. And there I was, born in the middle of it. And my brain latched on to those words and those images and, and, and that song, in that song because it was very important to me. Something was happening to me. And my brain, my heart was trying to tell me something through that. And it wasn't until I was 21 years old that I sensed a renewed solidity and a new closeness with God once, once again. I, I, I had felt it when I was younger, but I, I had regained it then. It was when I started allowing others, my, my big brother, my older brother specifically in the beginning, speaking truth into me, right? And I allowed them to start speaking truth and and my, into my life once more and biblical truth, and then I started to feel the ground beneath me come together. And I started to have a foundation again. Hearing that Jesus was prophesied to come back in the Old Testament 700 years before, all that stuff, to be sacri- the sacrificial lamb who would take away the sin of the world, to take away my sin, and open up the way for reconciliation to God, you know, it, it created a solidity in me. It answered that lone, a loneliness in me. And as I examined my life, I realized that God was there all the time, although I thought He had left. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had never gotten on the train that were right there with me all day long, every day, 24-7. And I knew at that point, at 21, I knew my need. I knew that I was not able to save myself. I knew exactly what I was. And I felt the loneliness of the world, and I was ecclesiastical. As a matter of fact, the book Ecclesiastes, which is not something you want to like read for a fun time, was really instrumental in leading me to Jesus. It's where I lived, right? Jesus allowed me to feel these feelings, to go to that inner sanctum, to that hard place, that, that, that dark place, within me, and he, he identified these things in me in, in that song with very clear imagery because without the mirror of my loneliness, I wouldn't recognize how much God loved me. I wouldn't understand it. And a part of that song is right. I am alone. No one can experience my experience. Everybody's got their own experiences. But I am never fully alone. 
There is one that can be inside all of those experiences with me, and that is Jesus. He's the only one. That journey of self-examination brought healing to me, and that song does now doesn't evoke the emotion it used to any longer. It used to be if I read those lyrics, I'd start weeping. I was praying with some, someone recently, and as we did, I got an image of God standing with this person during a very difficult time in their childhood. And an image came to me of them being cradled in the arms of God as he guarded them from the arrows that were flying at them growing up. It was a matter of healing for them that God hadn't left and had protected them. He didn't take the train for the coast. He was right there all the time. Even when he doesn't feel like he's there, right? Life just needs to be examined. It is frightening sometimes to turn inwards and to look inwards, right? But we'll find as we do, that as we take all of these thoughts and, and memories and images captive to Christ, that we will be transformed and we will find healing and we will find freedom. That's a promise. I'm, I'm pretty confident, I'm 100%, 110% confident that that will happen in your life because of who Jesus is. Being able to think about my thinking, to go back and look at how I was formed in my thinking, the image and the feelings in my brain, my memories and all that stuff, and to conform them to truth is an absolutely healing thing. God doesn't leave. God's with me all the time and God is with you no matter what you're going through. Even in the littlest of things, if we, re- if we spend time to think about our thinking, we will realize there's healing to be had. God speaks through these images. He speaks through these, these situations, these times, these feelings, these impressions. And Jesus connects with us through very concrete images. In the streets, the children screamed. The lovers cried and the poets dreamed. Those are concrete images, Right? And he used those images to speak to me. In meeting with Jesus in this imaginative spirituality, this cataphatic spirituality, you can look up that word later. I didn't know what it meant until this sermon series. Uh, One question may arise in you. Is it just me? Right? If I go to meet with Jesus and I, you know, all this stuff is happening, is it just me or is it just my imagination? Right? <clears throat> when I find that place, yeah, it feels nice, Pastor Jason. I, it's, it, it, it feels good, but is it just me? Am I just conjuring something? Or am I really encountering the real Jesus? Those are legitimate questions, right? That's what we all think about sometimes. And you may ask, is it wrong that if, I am, if, if, if in my imagination I'm enjoying who I am in Christ and I'm contemplating truth from Scripture, even if it's just me in my imagination, is that wrong? But I think we can look at imaginative spirituality as, as on a continuum, right? There's On the left side, there's a very self-directed spirituality where I intentionally sit down and I'm going to have a quiet time and I'm going to open these verses and I'm going to think about them and I'm going to sit there and journal about them and all that. That's very intentional. That's self-directed spirituality, right? Something we should be doing. And on the right side is the spirit-directed spirituality where, you know, something, God just does something. 
You know, you're walking down the street and God says, pray for that person. I was talking to somebody recently and they said, I went to the fridge to get a beer and I opened the fridge door and I reached for the beer and the Holy Spirit said, don't drink that right now. And they closed the door and later on they realized that they were going to have an important conversation and they needed a totally clear head and God was speaking to them. Not that they should never drink beer, but it was, it was, it was uh, powerful. That's, self, that's spirit-directed spirituality. It's something God just breaking in in a moment, right? There have been spiritual directors such as St. Ignatius of Loyola, which we've talked about in this series, who were very intentional about using their minds to connect with spirituality via right thinking, via the scriptures and things like that. There's others such as St. Teresa of Avila where having more supernatural visions were kind of norm for her. If you read her writings, it's very like, woo, ethereal and like all this stuff is happening. You're like, what in the world? But it's kind of cool. But both extremes... Both extremes and anything in the middle are biblically and of God, biblical and of God. So as long as they fall within the confines of Scripture, that's my conviction. So we don't need to worry so much about you know, what is of us and what is of God as much as does it jive with Scripture, right? However, I don't think any one of us in this room resides just in only one extreme. I don't think that that's true. We tend to move back and forth in that continuum. Maybe one side is more comfortable for us, but we'll experience them if we're all truly pursuing God. My wife is very comfortable on the self-directed side of that continuum. But I remember that when we were in Indonesia, the Holy Spirit spoke to her one day in a very powerful way, just sort of releasing her to do something that she really wanted to do, but she didn't feel like she could. And, and God just spoke to her, right? That was the very other end of the spectrum. And it usually actually happens together, right? These, those two things come together in one. For instance, in a recent prayer time with some people, we, we started out talking quite a bit, and, and we read Scripture, and we proclaimed truth, and all this kind of stuff. And it was a very self-directed moment. Although over time, as we began to let those, those truths take hold of us, and we found ourselves taken along in, in a very distinct spiritual journey with the Holy Spirit. And God started speaking to people in the room and we started sharing those things and it was very powerful. The Bible tells us what to think, which tells us we're responsible with what we think, which tells us that we have control over what we think. Let me say that twice. The Bible tells us what to think which tells us we're responsible with what we think, which tells us that we have control over what we think. And with the truth of Scripture, we tear down strongholds and bring everything captive to Christ. But even when being very self-directed, we realize it isn't just us working. It's not just me sitting there reading something. There's something going on with me and Jesus all the time. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that no one can proclaim, no one can say that Jesus is Lord and mean it except by the Holy Spirit, except that person that has the Holy Spirit in their life. So it's, it's never just us working. It is Jesus working within us all the time. Philippians 2.12-13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, seriously. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He's working in you as you participate in working out your salvation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled faces, and this has been more of the verse that we've gone off on this series, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So we intentionally go and contemplate. We, we, we take the time to sit there and meditate on it are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That's the passive voice. Something's happening to me. Somebody else is doing something to me. So we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God is always doing something, no matter what it feels like. We behold, but the transformation comes from the Lord. A follower of Jesus needs just to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in their life, even when you don't feel it. Philippians 4, 7 and 8 says our hearts and minds will be guarded in Christ and our responsibility is to think on what is true and noble and right and lovely and admirable and praiseworthy and all that kind of stuff. Think on those things, right? Don't think on other things. Romans 12, 1 and 2, very famous verses. We submit ourselves to God, right? And it says we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we participate in, in submitting ourselves to Him, you know, body and, and mind and spirit and all this kind of stuff, which means we submit ourselves intentionally, and in that, Jesus transforms us. He does something to us, right? So this, if this self-directed, imaginative spirituality is the only way that you connect with Jesus, if, it's, if you never get like great, wonderful, wow feelings and all that kind of stuff, this is biblically true and it is transforming. It's doing something in you. We're not talking about creating like fanfare here. We're talking about getting with Jesus. But remember this. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind literally means over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's cyclical, right? It's less of a straight line upward to Jesus, and it's more of a coiling up towards Him. You know, something uh, is made new in us, and then it feels old, it gets kind of stale, and then it's made new again, and then it just keeps going and going and going. Remember, the imagination is always going. It's always setting direction for your life, and we're always participating in that with the Holy Spirit, right? So the question is, will we control that process, or will it control us? Will we control that process, or will it control us? The way you make old things new will determine your future, right? We review the past. We look back on what's happened to us. We hear those old voices. We see those old memories and all that kind of stuff. So we review the past, and then we renew it. We make it new in Jesus, right? And that creates a preview for the future, which sets the direction for our life. That's living in faith. But most of us don't think like that, right? We don't think like this. We, we just let life happen to us. We just follow the next fad. We just do the next thing. We just don't think at all. We think, we think all the garbage that comes into us that we indulge ourselves in won't really affect us, but it does. It does. For instance, in a difficult marriage, you might review the past and only make a preview for the future, right? You've all had your fights with your spouse, right? 
You know, and you hear you and your wife fight about everything, fight about finances. You're going to have a financial conversation, right? Like, what are we going to do with our money? What's our budget going to be? Blah, 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 blah. And you sit there and you, you think, oh, this has never gone well. Woo! And you think, well, it's not going to go well. And so you sit there and you come at her in a certain way. Mary's laughing because she does this with Vinny. I'm going to start bagging on Mary now. Um, the same is true in a peaceful marriage, right? Well, my wife has always treated me really sweetly. We always liked, had great conversations about finances, and I imagined this is going to go very well, so we talk really well, right? As you think, so you are. As you think, that's not just a pop psychology thing. That is a very biblical principle. The whole process of, of reviewing and renewing and previewing is one aspect of the biblical understanding of faith. According to your faith, be it unto you, right? How you live, this is how you'll live, right? Here's faith. Here's the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in the Greek, it's hypostasis, if I pronounce that correctly. Substantial reality, right? The substance, the substantial reality. And the, the things hoped for, the evidence of the alleged cost, the conviction or the assurance of things not seen. So we could say it like this. Now faith is the substantial image of things that we expect and the conviction of things in the future or things that we we haven't seen yet. Right? So we could look at our marriage examples and we could like, like this, we could preview and we and we, and we have this hypostasis or this substantial image which we make as a preview for our future or an alleg cost, a conviction or, or an assurance of how the future is going to be. And that's how our life goes. You've heard people talk like that, right? It's always happened. She always says that. She always does that, right? Well, you're part of the, you're part of the system, Right? My dad would always say to me, whenever I responded to life like that, my dad would say, you don't know that. It's good to have somebody in your life that says, you don't know that. Because we always make those statements. Well, they always, they're always like, you're, and you don't know that. You know, we make assumptions about people. We make assumptions about life. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that. It's a good person to have. I saw this comedian recently who had gotten a divorce and his wife said, don't eat that. Like he's, he, she used to say to him, don't eat that. And he would say, it's always good to have somebody in your life that says, don't eat that, right? It's true. But you don't know that, right? We think about things, you don't know that. He was, he was right. My dad was right. I needed to make new thoughts. I needed to think differently about things if, if, if things were going to change. I needed to have a better preview of the future. Now, it takes two to tango. We know this is not that simple. Let's be mature about that. But it's not going to change if I still stay start of the pro- part of the problem, right? If we, don't, we often don't think about this stuff, right? We practice more of the garbage in, garbage out principle. We need to image, but rather we need to image what is good or think on what is good and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We need to look at people as God looks at people, Right? bringing our substantial reality in line with God's kingdom, and it will help to define our future. It's an issue of faith. And so the question is, what kind of faith do you have? What faith do you have? Right? 
What's your hypostasis, your substantial image in your head about things? What's, what's your leg cost, your, your conviction or your assurance about things in your heart? What's your faith concerning life and purpose and Jesus and marriage and self-image and others and, and everything in the world? Are my thoughts consistent with the lordship of Jesus Christ in this world? With how God defines himself, how God defines me, how God defines others. And whatever isn't consistent with kingdom truth needs to be replaced. Whatever isn't consistent with who Jesus is or who who I am or who others are in light of truth needs to go out of my brain. It needs to be taken captive to Jesus. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We're heirs according to the promise. Friends with Jesus, friends with and children of God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are loved and bound in grace. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. We are holy people. We are a kingdom of priests. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We could go on and on and on, right? But if we just agree with all of that stuff informationally, we say we believe these things, but we don't have faith about them, true hypostasis and true elegkos about it, transformation will always elude us. That's why you feel dry, right? Is that how you review and preview yourself? To take every thought captive to Jesus Christ is to take everything that we think and we are and we image and we feel to Him and to allow Him to renew our minds by His truth. Every thought about God, every thought about ourselves, every thought about this world, every thought about the other people sitting around you, your family at home, your friends at work, everything. And so what if we memorized and meditated on one verse a week for the next year of that list I gave you last week of the I am verses. I am this in Jesus. I am that in Jesus, right? How would your life change if you meditated on just one verse a week for the next year from that list? And if you need that list, I've got a longer list and I will send it to you if you email me. So if all you experience, if all you experience in your walk is this self-directed spiritual, uh, imaginative spirituality, then that is wonderful, that is great, that is great. God empowers us to take charge of our thoughts as His Spirit empowers and transforms us in that process, making us into the likeness of Christ. It isn't just you, but it's the Spirit of God working in you. But that's the one extreme. The other extreme, the second, is the spiritually directed imaginative spirituality. It's when we get things coming to us which we we don't expect, we don't see coming. Images or visions or nudges or thoughts or words or direction which seem to come directly from the Holy Spirit in that inner sanctum. We we sit with Jesus and we start to get images of ourselves or images of others or or something. I I was uh, sitting there this morning preparing for this and I got a nudge that I should text somebody and tell them something. And I did. I don't know if, if it was really the Holy Spirit or me. I don't care. It was a nice thing to say and it, they, it needed to be said. Right? But hopefully that was from the Holy Spirit and it came right at the right time. Another pastor tells the story of a woman who hadn't seen her friend in like seven years. And, and suddenly she got this, this nudge 
call Janet, whatever her name was. And she called the lady, and the lady was just signing the divorce papers with her husband and was devastated. And it turned out to be just exactly what this woman needed, was her Christian friend to call her and lift her up. You know, the main word used for vision in the Old Testament is the same as dream. It's the same word. So God comes to people in dreams or visions or in your imagination. It's God-directed. It's spirit-directed, but you could shut it off if you wanted to because you're still a participant. You can deny it. You can, you can overlook it. You can say, I'm not going to do that. And as I said earlier, this usually starts as self-directed imaginative spirituality where we're intentionally going and meeting with the Lord, and then he starts to just flood us with stuff. God seems to move in and take over in those times, doesn't he? It starts with me choosing to enter the room. Self-directed, but after a while, the Spirit of God takes over and it's Spirit-directed and things just happen that I know wouldn't happen without God creating them and moving in that. But sometimes it just comes at you out of the middle of nowhere, like my friend at the refrigerator. Don't drink that right now. And as I said earlier, uh, both extremes and everything in the middle are biblically sound. Both extremes and everything in the middle are biblically sound as long as they jive with Scripture, right? So we can yield to these things as long as they stay true to special revelation of God in Jesus and in the Word of God. And and this is why one of the greatest gifts to you is a healthy local church. By the way, you are a healthy local church. You're a good church. I Just side note. I get these requests from the region, the prayer coordinator for the region, and they say, do you have any prayer requests for your church? And we send them off, and then they compile them, and they send them back out to all the churches so we can all be praying for each other. By the way, Friday night was one of the places that we do that. You know, down at the barn, we gathered and we prayed. And um, uh, Ivory and Joanna went with me and their kids, and it was fun. We got there a little late, but it was all right. Um, but I, I was telling people that... Um, that usually when I write those prayer requests, it, there's a bunch of requests, and then there might be a praise or two, right? Well, I wrote them this time, and I just, it just flowed right out of me. Like six points, right? And, uh, and then I sent them off to Rachel and Olga, and I said, hey, you guys got anything to add to this? And then I reread it, because I wanted to send it out to my prayer shield. And I said, hmm, um, these are all praises. These are all praises. I didn't have one request in the whole lot of them, necessarily. It was just, keep doing this great stuff, God. You know, like, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. And so I, I just want to encourage you that. I have no idea where I am now. But, um, but, but a, a healthy local church helps us to stay in check. Right? They, they keep us. They're, they're indispensable in this process of spiritual formation. So our faith community calls back, us back to center if we go off too far. They encourage us when we're hearing from the Lord. 
They, they encourage that, they, and, and they're encouraged by what we hear and what we experience. So we minister to them as well when we practice this together. And then we build each other up by relaying these things which God speaks to us in these times, and it's wonderful, and there's freedom to explore and to plumb the depths of God's Word and His Spirit and life together. And it's nice being in a healthy, good church. And in that spirit, I want to tell you that since so many of you have had like such a good time with this sermon series, like a lot of people are coming up to me, sharing to, with me what, what's going on in them as a result of what we're talking about in this series. I want to forgo the sermon next week. I just want to recap for three minutes next week, and then we are going to have an open mic, and you guys can come up here and share whatever you feel the Lord has done or you've experienced with Jesus in your inner sanctum. It could be anything that you want to share. This might be an interaction with someone where you saw Jesus show up in that situation or a journal entry from your Lexio Divina book. It could be uh, something that happened as a result from your studies in the Animate booklet. It could be just a particularly powerful prayer time. It could be uh, a, a powerful moment or discussion in your community group or something happened with your community partner. It could be something you read which just reflects you know, what we've explored. It could be... you know. I just want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life. We all want to hear it. I think it's encouraging not to just hear from Pastor Jason all the time, but actually give you guys a chance to share what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives. And I hope you're brave enough to come to the mic. You might, you might decide to be creative about it. You might write a poem, or you might read a poem, or you might share a short story, or you might share a healing moment with us, whatever it is. So be prayerfully considering this week what you would want to share coming next week. And I think Vinny's just going to play some songs, and then in between those songs, we're going to have the mic come up. You can come up anytime you want and stand by that mic, and as soon as Vinny says, go ahead, you just go ahead and share whatever you've got to share, right? Um, and by the way, if the mic gives you hives, if you don't like sharing in front of people, email it to me, and I will either read it out loud or have it read out loud, and if you want that to be anonymous, that is fine. We will do that in an anonymous way as well. So I just want us to be able to share what God is doing in our lives. I think it's very encouraging. So, um, but to wrap this up today, here's, here's a phrase and a question. A phrase and a question that you're going to need to learn if you're going to start to practice this stuff. Because as you come into the inner sanctum with Jesus and you start being healed yourself and changing and transforming into the light, He's going to have you minister to other people. He's going to call you to share things with other people. You're going to start getting visions for Joe Gargano or whoever, you know. He's just going to say, you know, I want you to go say this or do this for this person, Right. And so here it is. This, this is the phrase and the question that is very profound. Uh, and it is this. I'm not sure if this is God. I'm not sure if it's me. But this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm hearing. Right? I'm not sure if it's God. Or I'm not sure if it's me. But I want to tell you something. I feel, I feel convicted to tell you something. All right? And then you, then you tell them what's going on, what, what you feel that God spoke to them, what spoke to you about them. And then you say, does that mean anything to you? And you hear their response, and you say, okay, can we pray right now? And you just pray on the spot. Don't forgo the prayer part. Pray, pray for them, right? Now, I believe God is encouraging in these times. I don't feel like 
I, I just, I've never gotten anything shameful that I should say to somebody or hurtful. It's always been a word of encouragement, a word of like positive challenge and things like that. Because God's going to give you images. He's going to give you things to say to people. He's going to give you words of encouragement. He's going to give you direction for others. Because this is how the body of Christ act, uh, acts or operates. You're going to need to take the risk of telling those people that. You're going to need to disciple others and be a disciple in the process. So you say that phrase, you ask that question, you, you, you explain what you've heard, and then you, then you pray for them, okay? Let me go to prayer now. Father, we thank you that you are here, you are uh, present, even when we don't feel you present. We are encouraged by the, when you are, you just show up and you tell us something that is profound and, and moving and... Uh, we want to submit ourselves more to you. We want to practice Romans 12, 1 and 2. We want to practice all these verses that we said, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and all these, just these verses that challenges, uh, challenge us to break down these things that are holding us back in our spiritual life with you. We want to walk with you well. We thank you for the series, and we pray for next week. And we, uh, we want to offer our financial giving up to you, Lord Jesus. Um, we know that this is a blessing uh, that we give back to you and that you can use to expand and, and deepen your kingdom, not only here with the people in this room, but out in our community and out into the world. We think about Syria and Lebanon as we, we are looking to partner with people working over there, and we know that our finances reach even that far. So, Lord Jesus, we just uh, offer this giving moment up to you. We thank you for that.